The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be chatting to Jade Turnbull-Allen from Forest Row Community Preschool about a wreath-making workshop they're running. Rena Barai from the National Pharmacy Association chats about Ask Your Pharmacist Week. Dr Nigel Carter from the Oral Health Foundation tells us about Mouth Cancer Action Month. And Malcolm Tyrrell explains about a little-known sport called pickleball. Plus, Norman Wong talks to a local poet about a book she's hoping to release in aid of mental health charities and hears from the Royal Mail about a change to the stamps we use every day. Samantha Day will be finding out more about Hills, the new Meals on Wheels delivery service for West Sussex, and Paul Tolney treads the boards with the Horsham Amateur Operatic and Dramatic Society to find out more about their upcoming production of 9 to 5 The Musical all in the latest edition of the Sunday Review. This December, Forest Row Community Preschool are holding a wreath-making workshop to raise much-needed funds. I'm delighted to be joined by Jade Turnbull-Allen from the school to tell us more. Jade, welcome to the show. Where did the idea for the wreath-making workshop come from? Hi, so thank you for having us, Beth. Um, the idea actually came from a charity that works alongside us called On My Side that support people with learning difficulties. They have a wonderful lady there called Sarah who volunteers her time to us to come and help make the wreaths as it's something she has experience in and run before. Um, with the cost of living crisis and the low earliest funding, we're kind of stuck in a position where we're having to do a lot of fundraising. Um, this seemed like a really fun idea and the tickets are selling really, really well. We're really looking forward to it. So what can people expect from the event? So we are supplying all materials. Um, Sarah will be giving her expertise to put the wreaths together and support everyone through making their own one to take home with them. We will also have lots of free mince pies and mulled wine to enjoy while you're here. We're hoping it'll be a lovely Christmassy, cosy evening to get the season started, as it were. Sounds great, especially the mulled wine and mince pies. Uh, how much does it cost for people to come along? So it's £25 if you were to come on your own. If you are bringing a friend with you, that puts the tickets at £20 each. It includes, obviously, the mulled wine, the mince pies and all your materials. And if they want to bring something of their own that they want to add to the wreaths, that's fine as well. That's great. So when and where is the workshop taking place? So it's happening in the preschool, which is the Hambro Hall in Forest Row. And it's on Thursday, the 8th of December at 7.30pm. Now, I gather that the wreath-making workshop is just one of a number of community events that you're running uh, over the next few months. What else have you got coming up? We also have a jumble sale on the 19th of November and a Christmas event for the whole village on 3rd of December, which is tying in with the local business network. Um, we'll be on the end of the Christmas trail with a Santa visit uh, and an elf workshop for the children to take part in. And why are these fundraising events so important to you, particularly at the moment? As many people may be aware, early years funding is crucially low and underfunded. Uh, on average, it costs about £6.50 an hour to offer an hour of childcare. We are paid just a little over £4 for that hour. Um, it is becoming increasingly impossible to make ends meet with all the rising costs, the crisis of, you know, the cost of living crisis, minimum wage rises. Our staff are all highly trained and worth a lot more than we can afford to pay them, unfortunately. Um, the only thing that's going to get us through and enable us to support those families who cannot contribute towards their preschool bill is to fundraise to make up that difference. Uh, we're lucky we've got a fantastic committee who've been really involved in getting all of these events off the ground and started. Um, they've been really passionate about helping us. Uh, we had a fantastic Halloween event from them recently and a Halloween disco, which has raised a little over £500 in total. All the money as a charity goes back into the preschool as well, so anything that's left over buys new toys and equipment for the children to enjoy. Are there other ways people can support you, maybe if they can't make it to one of your events but still want to do something to help? Yes, of course. So we have a sponsorship system. So we have a nice big fence along the main road where businesses can donate to us and put up their, their signpost on there for all the cars going past to see. Um, we have a, a general community shop out the front of the building as well, which is pay as you can. So families can drop in, pick up anything they might need from there. And we've got little charity tins to be contributed to. Um, we're always looking for volunteers to help us keep things up and ongoing. The best way probably to find out how to help us is to just get in touch with us. Um, our email is on our website and we're also quite active on Facebook a lot of the time. That's great. Jade, thanks so much for joining us today and all the very best with the wreath-making workshop and the other events you've got coming up. Perfect. Thank you for having us.
As a reminder, the wreath-making workshop is taking place on Thursday the 8th of December from 7.30pm at the Forest Road Community Preschool at Hambro Hall in Forest Road. Tickets cost £25 or £20 if you bring a friend and are available by emailing admin at forestrowpreschool.com. That's admin at forestrowpreschool.com. For details on the other events that are coming up, you can visit forestrowpreschool.com. That's forestrowpreschool.com. We'll post all those details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Over half of people with long-term medical conditions are making mistakes when taking their medications, risking hospitalisation. As part of Ask Your Pharmacist Week, the National Pharmacy Association is raising awareness of the NHS New Medicine Service. Although it's anything but new, it's been around for over a decade, but very few people know that this support's available from their local pharmacy. Rena Barai from the National Pharmacy Association is here to tell us more. Rena, welcome to the show. First of all, why do you think so many people aren't taking their medicines correctly? Hi, Tim. Well, I don't think people intend to not take their medicines correctly, but things can happen sort of along the way, can't they? I think people get prescribed a new medication or maybe just newly diagnosed with a long-term condition, and that can be overwhelming in itself. And then you're asked to take a medication for the rest of your life. And and often people either maybe start taking it incorrectly or get some side effects or decide to adjust the dose themselves. Or, you know, in my 20 odd years of experience as a pharmacist, I've heard so many different stories about different reasons why people maybe don't take the medication as recommended, which is why this Ask Your Pharmacist Week, which is a public awareness campaign for community pharmacy across the UK. The theme is making sure that people are aware of the services that are available at a local pharmacy, in particular, this new medicine service. Realistically, how serious is it if you get it wrong? Well, I guess what can go wrong is it can cause further illness down the line and sometimes people may even need hospital treatment and that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. So the new medicine service involves three appointments with a pharmacist over the course of a month. So the patient is um, obviously engaged at the point of when they started a new medication. And then within 7 to 14 days of them starting, we either give them a call or they come into our pharmacy and we talk to them and we ask them questions about how they're getting on with it, whether they think it's working, if they're getting any side effects, if they've got any concerns. And just having that opportunity to talk to a healthcare professional can really support people to make sure they do make the best of their medicines. And are there things the pharmacists can do then if people are having issues with their medication? Yeah, absolutely. So I did a new medicine service um, last month for one of my patients who's a cavi, uh, recently diagnosed with diabetes, got put on a medication for diabetes, which caused diarrhea, which is not what you want when you're a cab driver. Not really. You know, no. So, you know, he spoke to me about it. He said, Arena, I've stopped taking it. And I said, because that's really interesting. So let's have a think about what we can do and change to make this better for you. So I got in touch with the GP and we got it changed for an alternative medication that doesn't cause uh, diarrhea as a side effect. And he's now taking that medication regularly. So it's little things like that. We can work alongside our GP colleagues and our nurse colleagues um, to make sure that we can help patients make the best of their medication. And obviously people uh, use pharmacies for so many other services too, don't they? So this gentleman, you know, at the time when he came in, I was able to give him his flu jab for a COVID vaccination site. So I gave him that. Also checked his blood pressure because there's a new NHS blood pressure service for people aged over 40. There's so many things we can do to help patients now. So how are people able to get access to this service then? So what we're encouraging people to do if they've just been diagnosed with a long-term condition, and the list is quite huge for the service, uh, the conditions that we can help patients with. Examples are asthma, diabetes, high blood pressure, osteoporosis, epilepsy, Parkinson's, you know, there's many more. If they've been started on a new medication, speak to your local pharmacy team because they can enrol you in this service. And then, like I said, we can make sure we make contact with you um, for an appointment sort of seven to 14 days afterwards. And then we do a follow-up as well, sort of three weeks after starting a new medication. And like you said, those statistics of people who uh, aren't, aren't taking their medication as they should do are quite high. In England, there's 15 million people with a long-term condition. And if 30 to 50% of them aren't taking their medicines as prescribed, you can imagine the impact of that on the NHS. I guess most people would go to their GP if they were having issues with their medication. So why is seeing your pharmacist a better choice? 
yeah, the GP is obviously there as well. But I think, you know, in current times and, and obviously the, the range of services that pharmacies now offer have really expanded. And I think, you know, like I said, the theme of this Ask a Pharmacist Week is to make sure people are aware that pharmacies are offering so many more services in conjunction with your general practice. And I think historically people went to GPs for certain things like this, where they can now go to their local pharmacies, which actually sometimes is more convenient for people because the pharmacies are close to where people live, work or shop, or in your local parade of uh, shops, or in your high streets, or in your supermarkets. And actually we're probably one of the only healthcare professionals where you don't need an appointment to see us. So actually I think it's a, we work on, you know, alongside our GP colleagues and we work together to support our mutual patients. You've already mentioned some of the services that you offer. What else is available from your local pharmacist? Advice on minor illnesses, also advice on stopping smoking, losing weight, the morning after pill, other sexual health testing and treatment as well. So the, the range of services that pharmacies are offering are really, really expanded. And like I said, this Ask Your Pharmacist Week, we really want people to think about their local pharmacy and make sure they know what's available to them in their local community. Fantastic. And where can people go to find out a bit more about what their local pharmacy offers? Yeah, so the, the best place is to go ask your local pharmacist. So pop in and ask <laughs> and just, just say you heard it on the radio. What farm, what services are you offering that maybe I'm not making the best of? But also the NHS website will give you all the details of your local pharmacy's opening times and the services that they offer as well. So that's a really good uh, starting point for people to look up. Rena, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. For details on your nearest pharmacies, visit nhs.uk and click on NHS Services, then Prescriptions and Pharmacies. That's nhs.uk and click on NHS Services, then Prescriptions and Pharmacies. We'll post a direct link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Figures collected by the Oral Health Foundation show that nearly 9,000 people in the UK were diagnosed with mouth cancer last year. That's an increase of 34% compared to 10 years ago, and cases have more than doubled within the last generation. To provide some insight on this and tell us what we should be on the lookout for, I'm joined by Dr Nigel Carter, Chief Executive of the Oral Health Foundation. Dr Nigel, welcome to the show. Why do you think there's been such a big increase in cases? I think really this is down to two factors. A change in lifestyle habits probably several generations ago. A lot of these cases present in later life, so it's after many years of the risk factors. And the, the two main risk factors traditionally have been tobacco use, so smoking and also ethnic chewing tobacco, uh, and then also excess alcohol. And the two combined together increase the risk by up to 30 times. Um, but we also know that uh, smoking is decreasing, but it'll take some time for that to be reflected in the figures. So we would hope to see them start to come down again. But around 15 years ago, um, and we've now been running this campaign for the last 22 years, there was an additional factor that was discovered, which was the HPV human papillomavirus, the same virus that causes cervical cancer. Now, this was found to be causing a number of the cancers further back in the mouth, so back of the mouth and into the throat. Um, there's a little bit of good news there because they are um, they do have a better outcome following treatment, so not quite so many people are dying as a result. Um, but it's still very important that really we make people aware, both of those risk factors, how they can change their lifestyle to avoid those, and also what they should be looking for in their own mouths, the signs and symptoms that uh, might cause us to be suspicious. You mentioned there that some cases can be more easily treated than others. How serious generally is mouth cancer? The big problem we have, because people aren't aware of mouth cancer, is that they tend to present very late. And that's really one of the purposes of this campaign that we've been organising, as I say now, over the last 22 years with Demplant, is to really raise awareness of the condition in people's minds, get them becoming mouth aware themselves and checking their own mouths, and when they feel there's an issue, to get along to the dentist. Many present at stage three or stage four, 
and the survival rates there are honestly not that good and the treatment is very extensive so really if we can push that backwards uh, and although we're not going to stop the cancers if we can get them detected at an early stage the treatment is so much easier and the survival rate is so much better okay so what should we be looking out for then well, we can check ourselves in the same way that we do for breast cancer or testicular cancer. There's no reason why we can't look in our mouths. In fact, we're, we're doing things with our mouths every day because we clean our teeth. So it's, a, it's an easy one not to miss, if you like. Um, have a look around the soft tissues of the mouth, pull the lips down, see if there are any unusual changes there. Have a look at the roof of your mouth, at the cheeks. Um, wiggle your tongue around and have a look if there's anything unusual on your tongue. Now, what are we looking for here? We're looking for the mouth ulcer that doesn't heal over a period of about three weeks. In all probability, nothing to worry about, but it's a sign to get along and get it checked out. We're looking for unusual red or white patches in the mouth, particularly if they're changing shape or size or moving. Um, we're looking for uh, any lumps or bumps in the head and neck area, so feel around the head and neck, uh, and also anything like persistent hoarseness that doesn't seem to go away. These are all signs that we should be getting checked out. Get along to your dentist, uh, or if you can't get an appointment with the dentist, and we know how challenging that is at the moment, get along to your GP. Um, the, the specialist surgeons that deal with these things would much rather see patients early and say you've got nothing to worry about um, than to have these advanced cases, which are, are very difficult to treat, um, are more likely to give long term um, problems and potentially even cause death. So that that message of if in doubt, get checked out could save a life. And if we are going to the dentist every six months or so for a regular checkup, should we also be checking in between those times? Ideally, do checks in between the times. Some of these things can progress quite rapidly. Um, and also we're moving towards less frequent checkups because the rate of things like dental decay has reduced. So many people now are only going every 12 or 18 months. So quite a lot can happen during that time. But as part of a routine checkup, the dentist should be checking your soft tissues round your mouth, more particularly if you're a smoker or drinker. But really at every checkup, we should be checking those soft tissues and checking that there are no problems going on there. And where can people go if they want to find out more information? You can go along to the Mouth Cancer Action Month website at mouthcancer.org or to the Foundation main website, which has a lot of information about all sorts of things, dental, at dentalhealth.org. That's great. Dr Nigel, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure, Tim. For more information about Mouth Cancer Action Month and how a simple check could save your life, visit mouthcancer.org, that's mouthcancer.org. And for more general information on oral health, visit the Oral Health Foundation at dentalhealth.org, that's dentalhealth.org. We'll post links to both on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Now, local resident Malcolm Tyrrell is trying to set up a group of players for a sport called pickleball. His aim is to meet at sports centres in East Grinstead and Edenbridge, and he's here to tell us more. Malcolm, welcome to the show. Now, I must admit, I've never heard of pickleball. What on earth is it? I'm like you. Uh, before I was introduced to it, I'd never heard of it either. Um, happened to be on holiday in Florida and uh, English friends of mine that I was moaning that I couldn't play tennis anymore to said, well, why don't you try pickleball? And I said, the heck's pickleball? And um, the rest is history. Yeah, um, what is pickleball? It's, if you could imagine mini tennis played with ping pong bats, a plastic hollow ball on a badminton court over a tennis net, that's about it. Um, it originated... Uh, allegedly, there's all sorts of stories about where it came from, but allegedly, um, back in the mid-60s, a big family in somewhere in America, Seattle, I think, but don't quote me on that, 
um, were looking to entertain the children at Christmas um, and they cobbled together all the bits and pieces that they had from various sports and they ended up with this pickling of games, hence the hence apparently the reason it's now called pickleball. Um, it is phenomenally uh, huge in Florida where, where I've experienced it. In fact, I would say we're now at the point where in Florida it's probably bigger than tennis. Um, hundreds and hundreds of people turn up at, at at the local community place out there that we play at. And uh, it, it's, yeah, it's great fun. Great fun. It's easy to learn. It's easy to play. Um, and um, everybody seems to enjoy it. You mentioned it's got a huge following in the States. What's the level like out there? Is it played as a competitive sport? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they have world championships. They have regional championships, um, as we do in, in the UK. Uh, there's there is pickleball England that is very active in organising regional competitions, national competitions, all that kind of stuff. I've been in touch with them, and um, that's how I discovered that in this area, the East Grinstead Edinburgh area, it's it's a bit of a it's almost a no go zone. It's it's weird. It's it's one of the few spots in the whole of the UK where there are very few clubs, um, and so hence the reason that I've tried to get some people together at as you say at local sports centers so that we can have a go and see whether we can take it a little bit further and get something going locally so how does it work exactly do you play as individuals or in groups generally speaking um uh, the majority of pickleball is played as a doubles game so one pair against another pair um when you get to a higher level uh, they do have uh singles uh, um, championships and all that kind of that kind of stuff. That's certainly nothing that I'm intending playing. Um, that's that's a level above me, and my limbs and everything don't allow me to get around the court that much now. So, uh, playing as a double or playing as a pair um, makes life a lot easier for everybody. And how do things like scoring work in the game? <laughs> scoring is uh, how badminton used to be scored. Uh, so each. Each player on each side gets a serve. You only win a point if you win the point whilst you're serving. If you lose the point, it passes over to your partner. If your partner then loses that point, it passes across to the opposition and each of them gets a serve. And as I say, as long as you are serving at the time that you win the point, then uh, it's first to 11 with two clear of your opposition wins you the game. So do you need any special equipment to be able to play? As far as the courts are concerned, what we found is that a badminton court, a standard badminton court, is pretty much the exact dimensions that you need and, and markings for pickleball. And in addition to that, of course, you, you need a bat or a paddle, as they're called. Um, they're freely available. I mean, I've got all of mine from, from Amazon, if I'm allowed to use that as a name. I'm sure other sites are available. But uh, um, you, can, you can pick up a paddle, anything from £15 up to £400 if you really want to spend that sort of money. But, you know, anything around £25 or £30 would pick you up a decent paddle that, that would see you through. And then, of course, the other thing you need are, are the specialist balls, which are basically plastic hollow balls with 40 holes drilled in them that are very, very lightweight um, and... Um, turn the game into something that isn't dangerous for anybody because if one hits you it doesn't really hurt it's it, hence the reason it, it's really suitable for all ages um, youngsters can play against old people uh, um, and uh, it's it's great it, it it just fits beautifully as a as a game that all people that all standards can play um, and it's real good fun for those who've never played before, how easy is it to learn? Is it something that you can be taught by yourself, for example, or is there somewhere else that they can go to learn the basics? Yeah, I, I would say um, uh, before you come along to a, a pickleball session uh, that I, I learned an awful lot of stuff like scoring, uh, how to play shots, etc. Uh, on YouTube. If you just type pickleball into youtube there are literally hundreds and hundreds of uh, uh hints tips games 
recordings of world championship matches, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's where I picked up an awful lot of stuff, having only played a few games in Florida. In terms of me teaching people, I'm not qualified as a coach or anything like that, but I'll, I'm very happy to point people in the right direction and make sure that they're serving correctly. And Because you're not allowed to serve overarm, you have to serve underarm. Um, so there's all sorts of little quirks about it that make it fun, really. Um, and all of the, a lot of the rules are designed to make the game fairer uh, for everybody to play against each other. Um, so you can't just go out there and whack the ball. There are certain times that you're not allowed to do that on the, on the court. There are certain areas of the court that you can't do that um, without trying to complicate it, because it really isn't complicated. Um, but but it's, it's a very cleverly designed game to allow people of all standards to be able to play against each other. If people are interested in coming along to one of the sessions that you're running, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Is it via Facebook? Anybody can have a look at the What's Happening in East Grinstead site. Um, I've been posting on there and had a huge amount of interest and replies from people. Uh, so... Um, we will be letting pe uh, people know what's what's happening, which courts we're on, and at what time and at what venue. But at the moment, we're going to probably concentrate on the King Centre on Wednesday evenings at about 7.30, hopefully. You've mentioned that you've had a good response already. What have some of the responses been? Well, I sort of hope, in a way, that not everybody turns up because cause we'll be inundated. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I reckon I must have had 20-odd replies at least um, from people um, that are interested in getting involved, some of whom have never played the game ever, never heard of it. Some that have played, I believe, I believe she said that they played in Canada. Um, uh, so yeah, everybody's welcome. Anybody's welcome. Any standard. Um, my wife, for example, has never played a racquetball sport in her life, um, and she thoroughly enjoys playing pickleball. So anybody can pick it up. Anybody can learn it it's it, yeah it's 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 just great fantastic malcolm thanks so much for joining us today and explaining the sport to us all the very best in finding fellow players in the area although it doesn't sound as though you're going to struggle we'll see we'll see how the first session goes and how it goes from there but yes hopefully i've found some friends to play pickleball with if you'd like to get in contact with Malcolm or find out exactly when and where you can join him to play pickleball, you can find his posts on the What's Happening in East Grinstead group on Facebook. We'll post a direct link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Thursday afternoon, Norman Wong spoke to local poet Sammy Shelford, who's after some help. I've written a poem book that is all about mental health and bereavement, life's challenges, which is why I've called it Life's Lemons. A collection of poems that I've written over the past 15 or so years. Poems about life's struggles. They were written following my own experiences. Is the sponsorship needed to help you pay for printing? It is, yes. So I've, I've done an unedited copy and I was lucky enough that the printers at the time uh, did those for me free of charge. Now, I had all that lined up. Um, unfortunately, as everyone's aware, it's a very difficult time out there at yep. the moment. And my sponsor had to unfortunately reject their original offer so i'm after somebody else that is in a position that can uh, help and the sponsor would be to help fund the printing well, yes anybody out there here's a venture that you could help uh local resident sammy and mainly it's about me helping mental health if they've got a, a keen interest is the right word in mental health if they're affected by it in any way and think that they can help me to help others in similar situations. The plan is that once this is out there and selling, hopefully by the millions, that would be quite nice. Wouldn't it just? <laughs> Got to have a dream. Is that all the profits will be going to charity. Because of that reason, I would like some help getting it to the printers and getting the first official edition. Well, I mean, well, how will you sell the book? Is it a sort of Amazon thing or a local bookshop? I, I would probably sell them personally okay. um, if I can get them sent to me but then eventually once it's out there i'll be looking at going to waterstones or or somewhere alike yeah there's um, lo local bookshops in the area yes from a sale of a book some of the money or all the money go to the charity the idea is the initial sponsor is to get the first ones out and then that would obviously help me have 100 percent profit 
all of those profits will be going to various mental health or bereavement charities, ideally local, smaller ones that aren't getting government fundings, etc. And have you identified those charities yet? Um, I've had a possible interest from the Lucy Rayner Foundation over in Red Hill, but I'm working my way through. It's very difficult at the moment. Everybody's so busy um, just trying to get that feedback from the book and understand that they are keen. Sure, charities won't refuse any money. Would would you be so kind as to maybe read one of the one of the poems from your book? Of course. So this is a little one that I wrote when I was missing my own mum, who sadly passed away nearly 23 years ago. A beautiful smile and a heart to match. There isn't a day I don't wish you would come back. No matter how long since I saw your face, in my heart there will always be a special place. You taught me how to love and care for others, treat all my friends like sisters and brothers. Be strong when needed, but be cautious too. Be strong-willed and caring, just like you. I wish I could call you to hear your voice once more, or a stairway to climb so I could knock on the door. I would reach out my arms and wrap them round you so tight. But instead, once more, I say goodnight. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for reading that. If any of our listeners were interested in sponsoring you, how can they get in touch? I have an Instagram page, which is called Life's underscore Lemons underscore Poems. And they can contact me via private message on there. How long have you been a poet? Around about 15 years. Prior to that, I'd actually suffered myself from quite severe depression and had unfortunately tried to end my life on several occasions. When I had had my counselling, I came to writing things down, which they always say is a good thing to do, to get it off your chest instead of storing it in your head and, and making things worse. And I just found I naturally started writing poems instead of stories. So it just went from there, really. I have to... Thank you for being so open with us. It's very admirable that you know you should talk to strangers the way you've done in the last five minutes. Thank you for that, and and thank you for reading that poem. C- could I ask you to read another one because I, f- I felt quite moved by the first one. <laughs> I don't know what effect the second one's going to have. You certainly can. I'll read the one that I find is probably the closest to my heart. Be- before you do that. Let us know one more time how any of our listeners can get in touch with you to um, purchase the pre-run of the book that you've got in front of you and also, more importantly, for any sponsors. Yes, of course. If they're on Instagram, they can contact me on my Instagram page at life's underscore lemons underscore poems. So, Sammy, thanks for coming in today. Much appreciated if you could read another poem from the book. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. She's got everything. Have you seen the size of her house? She never wants for anything. She asks and it's bought by her spouse. She's got everything. Her hair is always in place. She's always got nice clothes and her makeup is perfect on her face. She's got everything. A husband and children too. She never wants for anything. Not like me and you. But has she really got everything? Do you know what's behind those doors? Underneath her perfect makeup is a face full of sadness and flaws. But has she really got everything? Her clothes aren't what they seem. They are hiding her body hang-ups and the scars of what used to be. But has she really got everything? A house is just bricks and mortar. It cannot replace her loved ones, the one who called her daughter. But has she really got everything? Money can't buy happiness, you see. So behind all that money and makeup, she's just the same as you and me. Well, thank you once again. Thank you. If you'd like to get in contact with Sammy to buy the pre-run of her book, discuss sponsorship, or if you represent a mental health charity that would like to benefit from sales, visit instagram.com forward slash life's underscore lemons underscore poems. That's instagram.com forward slash life's underscore lemons underscore poems. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Norman Wong's also been speaking to David Gold from the Royal Mail about how we need to use our non-barcoded definitive postage stamps by the 31st of January next year. What we're referring to is an everyday stamp. It's a stamp which has an image of 
Her Late Majesty the Queen on a plain-coloured background. Perhaps it has a first or second somewhere in the corner, or perhaps a specific value, perhaps 2p, 1p, or whatever. And those stamps have been the same since 1967, when Arnold Machen first created that image of Her Majesty. Those stamps are changing, and going forward, they are going to be barcoded, which means that they'll look exactly the same, except that on the right hand, there will be a unique barcode, which allows Royal Mail to read that stamp and ensure that it goes through our system as efficiently and securely as it ought to. Over time, we hope that that will also bring additional benefits to members of the public. So at the moment, you can use your smartphone to upload and share uh, a video from the Royal Mail website. For example, if you are sending a birthday card to a relative, you might want to download one of our videos made by our friends at Ardman, studio that created Sean the Sheep. And if you then scan the barcode, you'll see a video of Sean doing a little jig and singing happy birthday to the recipient of that birthday card, which is a bit of fun, but it's just the start. Because over time, what we want to be able to do is introduce more benefits that, that consumers will find helpful in the future. I have to say, I don't believe I've seen any barcoded stamps yet. Maybe I haven't, haven't noticed it, but have they been in circulation for long? So we introduced the fast, first barcoded stamps back in March last year. And at Christmas, we barcoded all of our Christmas stamps. And since the middle of this year, we've only been selling the barcoded stamps to our retailers. Now, going forward, if your listeners do go into a post office or into uh, one of the other retailers that is selling Royal Mail stamps, they'll find that they're only the barcoded versions that are on sale. But we are conscious that lots of people might have not entirely used sets of stamps in the back of their drawer or perhaps in their wallet or their purse or down the back of the sofa, wherever you keep them. We're asking people to have a rummage and look for them. And if they can use them up before the 31st of January, then great. Particularly with Christmas coming, that might be a good way to, uh, to use them up. But if you don't manage to use them all by the end of January, please don't worry, because you're not going to be out of pocket. We're delivering a leaflet to every household in the country that will include a form so that any stamps that you haven't by then, you can simply send them to us and we will swap them. We're not even asking you to put a stamp on the envelope. We're going to give you a free post address so that you can send them. The great news that even though the deadline for using the barcode stamp is the 31st of January, if you find stamps after that that are not barcoded, it doesn't matter. Carry on sending those to us. Have them swapped at any time. Are there any non-barcoded stamps that can be used after the deadline of the 31st of January next year? Absolutely. So if you've got special stamps, they are perhaps commemorative. They might be stamps from a royal wedding. They could be stamps that celebrate Great British trains. I've seen recently some stamps that celebrated some of our great science fiction writers. Those stamps are not going to be barcoded. You carry on using those long into the future in perpetuity. So if you have got any of those stamps and you want to use them on envelopes, that's absolutely fine. What we ask is you don't send those to be swapped because they won't be eligible, because they remain usable in the normal way. So it's a perfect time to use up on non-barcoded stamps for sending Christmas cards with Christmas just coming up. One question that is on everybody's lips is, when can we expect to see some stamps featuring His Majesty King Charles III? Yes, it is a question we get asked a lot. And obviously, we couldn't have known when we started printing these stamps quite how events would unfold. We've been in regular dialogue with the royal household, and we're absolutely in agreement with them that we shouldn't pulp all of the stamps that we had printed in anticipation of the change to barcoded stamps. So you will see the stamps featuring the Queen for some time to come. But in the fullness of time, we will release the new image of His Majesty on stamp, and that will be at a time in consultation with the Royal House. I'm sure you won't have that long to wait, but I think that perhaps we do recognise for many people this will be a significant milestone. You know, the, the day when you stop seeing Her Majesty on stamps will, for many people, be a very sad day indeed. So I know that there is a lot of feeling out there that for many people they'd like to carry on those stamps for as long as there are still some available. I appreciate your time, David. Thank you for everything you've told us about the, the introduction of barcoded stamps. 
You said there's a mail shot coming to every household, but is there a website where you can get further information? Uh, absolutely. So if you've mislaid the list, then you can go onto the Royal Mail website. You can find that just by searching in your usual search engine online for Royal Mail. And then on the website, there is a whole page dedicated to barcode stamps. You can download the form from there. You can also find details of the helpline if you want to talk to somebody if you've got any further questions. You can also go into any Royal Mail delivery office and they will have forms available for you. But as I say, there's no rush to swap your stamps. They will carry on swapping them well past the date of the 31st of January, which is the last day for using those non-barcoded everyday stamps. Thanks again, David, for your time today. Thanks, Norman. Lovely to talk to you. As a reminder, the Royal Mail website is royalmail.com. That's royalmail.com. We'll post a link to the details of the changes on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On her morning show on Wednesday, Samantha Day spoke to Sarah Wren about Meals on Wheels. Hills is a charitable social enterprise and it actually stands for health and independent living support and that's what we try to do as an organisation, help people to be healthy and help them to live independently at home. And that works very well, doesn't it, for those people? Because it's, it, it can be difficult if they get moved somewhere that they actually don't want to be. That's right. I mean, there are many reasons why we can lose our independence. But actually, one of the things that's really important is that if people want to stay in their own home, which, after all, is what most of us want to do, they can have that little bit of help to really help them to, uh, to stay at home happily. Where do you come in with actually for the meals? Well, um, Hills actually started back in 2007, um, based in Hertfordshire, and it has grown to be the largest provider of Meals and Wheels um, in a not-for-profit way across the whole country. So in Hertfordshire, we deliver over half a million meals a year, and recently we've been really excited to actually start delivering meals in West Sussex as well. And we hope to be delivering about 190,000 meals a year in all of the West Sussex area. That is a lot of meals, Sarah. It is indeed. But what we do is we provide Meals on Wheels and a pack service in West Sussex as well. And we take it hot and delicious and ready to eat every day to someone in their home, which means that, uh, means that along with uh, a wonderfully nutritious meal, um, the person is also getting uh, some daily interaction. They're getting a welfare check. They get to know the team member who delivers to them. So it's not just about having nutritious food. It's also, also about knowing that someone is looking out for you and caring for you. And some of these people probably wouldn't see anybody every day. Sadly, that's really true. Uh, many, many people don't have a, a support network or maybe they have family that live a very long way away. So we can be the only person who's seen, which is why it's so important that we're there 365 days a year if someone needs us. And I can imagine how happy they are to see their, you know, their driver come along with their food. Absolutely. And I think as well, it, it's probably worth saying that some people think that, you know, it is OK just to eat a sandwich or just to have a few biscuits. But actually staying well nourished is one of the most important things that we can do to stay well. And another thing that a lot of people don't realise is that it's not normal to lose weight as you get older. So if someone has discovered that they're starting to lose weight unintentionally, or even maybe they're finding that they're going off their food and they're just not eating as much, do give us a call because we may be able to really help. Obviously, they don't really feel up to cooking their own meal. That's right. And, and also sometimes people, you know, don't feel strong enough or well enough or also because they're just not feeling safe cooking a meal. We can help people short term or long term. So we know that this winter there may be quite a nasty flu around. So if someone unfortunately, um, you know, gets unwell, if they need that little bit of help to recover, we can just help for a few days or for a week or two to help them get back on their feet. Equally, if it helps them every day of the year, we're there for them just as, ju just as much. And of course, if the person who turns up there and they can see there's something not quite right, what would they do? Come back to you or would they take it back to perhaps family? 
Well, they go straight back to our wonderful office team who will first of all try to contact uh, friends and family if uh, if um, the person has told us that the, that's their uh, preference. Um, and we try and get help from them. If someone doesn't have that or if we can't get help, then uh, we'll contact the wonderful uh, team at West Sussex County Council who are supporting us in this service. Um, and if we need to get extra help, if we really can't find anyone, uh, eventually we may ask um, uh, the police to, to help us track that person down as well. But we never leave someone without knowing that they're okay. Occasionally, unfortunately, we'll find that when we, we do go in, someone is being taken on well and then we'll make sure that we summon emergency services or the person's GP so that they, that, that they can get the help that's needed. Now, Hills ha has actually uh, been recognised with a number of local and national awards. Yes, that's right. A whole host of different awards uh, for the way that we care, for the services that we provide. Yeah, uh, you know, just because we want to try and make people's lives better. But I think really the thing that's being recognised is the incredible care that all of our team members show. People work for us because they want to make a difference. And I think that's why we, we've received uh, awards. That's lovely, though, isn't it? It just shows about the recognition with that. Yeah, indeed. Now, we've talked about Meals and Wheels Week. Now, that runs from the 30th of October until the 4th of November. And, and are you giving this a big push? Yes, we are. Now, unfortunately, there are many areas of the country that no longer have a Meals and Wheels service, which I know is quite shocking, but it's one of the things that uh, local authorities um, have sometimes decided that they don't need to do anymore. The great thing is that in West Sussex, that's not the case, and there is huge commitment for Meals and Wheels, which is fantastic. Fantastic. But because we are the largest provider of Meals and Wheels in the country, we try to really raise the profile and the importance of the service. Hills is the largest not-for-profit with the meals. How do you manage that? Because obviously you've got huge costs. Yeah, it's really tough to cover all, all, all of the costs involved because, of course, um, food's gone up enormously and so have utilities and, and fuel and wages. But we believe that this is such an important service that we just have to do everything we can to try and make it work. Mm. Because we're charitable, we can also receive charitable donations and grants. And we try every way we can to make sure that we can support people in need. Do you work alongside other organisations? Yes, um, we do. We work uh, alongside AGK and uh, we've just come into West Sussex, so we're getting to know other local charities. But we believe that uh, supporting people is always done better in partnership. So we're really looking forward uh, to getting to know all the other charities uh, in West Sussex who make a difference to people's lives. Now, you're also an associate member of the Malnutrition Task Force. It's it's a wonderful group that really tries to raise the profile of all of the um, parts of the uh, care sector that support people with food. I said earlier that people often don't realise that it's, it's, it's not normal to lose weight. But being malnourished and underweight is one of the, the key um, things that can affect people's ability to recover from illness and also to stay strong physically. So the Malnutrition Task Force um, has been set up and funded by various partners to really get the message out there and also to try and influence government and local authorities too uh, to really invest in meal services to, to uh, support people uh, so that they don't go without good nourishment, particularly when, when they're getting older. People just assume that their appetite is not as good as it used to be and they don't worry too much about not uh, eating as much. But it really does matter because if you want to stay strong physically and you want to stay active, you've also got to have the right nourishment to be able to do so. The one thing I'd say, if anyone uh, is worried about losing weight, if they're worried that perhaps they're not eating enough or something has changed from the way that they used to eat, you know, please get in touch with us at Hills or please perhaps raise it with um, the person who deals with your health normally. Perhaps speak to a family member or to your GP next time you, you uh, go to see them because we really do need to be tackling people who are losing weight and not meaning to do so. Over the past years, I have spoken to Apetito, and I believe you're still working alongside of them, are you? Yes, Apetito have done an amazing job delivering Meals on Wheels, but actually their specialism is 
actually creating the food. So um, they make wonderful uh, meals uh, that are really nutritious and they are specializing in that. We're very pleased to be taking over from them in West Sussex and we're going to be doing the meal delivery. So we're going to be doing all of the uh, daily checks and meal deliveries, but we'll still be using Appetito's lovely food. When they've explained to me what they're actually taking out as the food, it sounds amazing. It is. It's really good. And people can choose from a, a wide menu um, or even a personalised menu to make sure that they always have things that they really enjoy eating. Is there a charge for this? Yes, there is. And we wish that there wasn't. But we um, you know, obviously have to cover all, all of our costs and pay our teams who work so hard. So the price for the hot meal and dessert that's delivered daily is £6.99. And if someone wants a tea pack as well, that is £3.40. But if anyone is ever worried about uh, affording food, uh, we can put them in touch with other charities who can make sure that they're receiving all of the benefits that they are entitled to um, and uh, can get extra help if they're worried about paying for bills. Can you just say, what area do you cover? We cover the entire area of West Sussex. So wherever someone lives, if they live in one of the more rural areas or if they live in one of the urban areas, wherever you are, if you need Meals and Wheels, we will get out to you and make sure that we bring you wonderful, nutritious food. And we'll also do it with a caring welfare check each day. If you'd like to find out more about the service offered by Hills in West Sussex, there's more information on Meals on Wheels available at westsussex.gov.uk. That's westsussex.gov.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier this week on his mid-morning show, Paul Tolmy spoke to Billy Humphreys from the Horsham Amateur Operatic and Dramatic Society about their upcoming performance of 9 to 5 The Musical and the group in general. So we've been going since 1954. Wow. So yes, we've been active for like 70 years. Um, We've been doing, yeah, shows every year, couple of shows a year. Um, Recent shows we've done, we've just, last year we did, um, earlier on this year we did The Producers. Before that, we did Sister Act, some Follies, Singing in the Rain, Made in Dagenham, all the classics you can think of, Oliver, mm. My Fair Lady, Hello Dolly. Yeah, we've done all of them. We're a huge society. Um, the shows are unbelievable. The show, the quality of the shows are... Um, this is actually only my second show that I've done with Haywards. Um, mm. But I just remember seeing the shows and just the quality of the shows. And just, you, come, you come and see the shows... It is that Western quality standard and people like the Sister Act was a standard ovation every single night. And yeah. it was what a feeling to be on that stage and just to get that appreciation from people. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing for us as well, we've managed to keep going throughout the years, purely just from ticket sales from the general public. So the yeah. support for the society has, has been fantastic and it's appreciated uh, by everybody. Definitely. So, uh, nine to five is uh, going to be ticking off um, next week. Uh, you're, th- yes. it's, it's one of the sort of re- relatively new musicals, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. So it's based on the film um, yeah. from the eighties from Dolly Parton. So, for people that don't know about it, basically, it tells the story of three women. So you've got Violet, Dorothy, and Judy, who are effectively pushed to boiling point by their sexist, egotistical boss called Mister Hart. Um, it's set in 1979, and the show was brought to life by Dolly, and she was uh, in the film. So it takes place in our office, which is called Consolidated Industries. And the three female leads are on a mission to, I guess, effectively make the office just a much friendlier place. They want to get rid of Hart, so they decide to conjure up a plan and kidnap him. But it doesn't really go to plan. Um, you have the three lead characters, so you've got Violet Newstead. She practically runs the office, um, and she's a single parent, um, so she's bringing up her son Josh all alone, and she effectively runs the place. Um, and she can see that Hart isn't run, doing a very good job at running the office. Then uh, you then have Dorothy Rhodes, who Dolly played in the film, um, and she's um, Franklin Hart's secretary, and he consistently flirts with her. Um, and all the other women in the office don't like that. Um, Judy Burnley, she's a brand new employee of Consolidated. It's her first job kind of after being a housewife. Um, her husband left her for a younger model, so to speak. So she's finding the world of work a little bit crazy. And you've got Roz, who is Hart's loyal assistant. 
who will eavesdrop on other employees at work and is besotted by Hart and will do anything what he says. And Hart is the boss of everyone in the office and he's not shy to flirt with all the females, um, a big pompous character. Um, and I'm playing a character called Joe, who is the junior accountant at Consolidated. And I'm in love with Violet um, um, and throughout the show, I'm basically trying to get Violet to go on a date with me. Um, it doesn't really go to plan, so to speak. I keep trying and trying. Um, but yeah, the show's brilliant. It's um, it's really upbeat music. You've got some Dolly Parton country-esque twang songs in it. The harmonies are, are, are fantastic. Just the whole the whole ethos of the show is really like empowerment with winning, and it's just it's a really it's a great show to be a part of. I bet it is, and I'm sure you're going to be. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a brilliant, uh, brilliant production. Um, so you guys are probably on sort of, sort of dress rehearsal stage now, isn't it? So we started rehearsals. Um, blimey, I feel like we've been rehearsing forever. We started rehearsals. Um, I think it was just at the end of May, start of June, um, oh, for wow. a couple of times a week. Yeah, so it's not it's not full time. So we do it a couple of times a week. Yeah, in the sure. Just to kind of learn. I guess it's a block the show, learn the choreography, we learn the songs. Um, you have a separate musical director and then you have a director. Um, so we've got set, set days that we, um, I guess, learn the show, learn all the songs, then learn the scripts. And then it's a fairly big cast, so everyone is on stage a lot of the time. As the, as the show is set in an office, Yeah. Um, everyone is pretty much on stage all the time. So you it's very rare. There's only a few people. Other shows I've done before, for example, like Sister Act, um, there's times when there's only three or four people on stage. This show, you feel like there's 25, 30 people on stage all the time. So it's very busy, lots of things going on. So quite, a, quite, of... quite a large ensemble then. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. which also makes it sound amazing. Yeah. Like, vocally, it's fa- it sounds fantastic. Oh, brilliant. It's, it sounds amazing. It's great because you can come to these shows for, you know, a, a really, have a really great night out for, for some fantastic talent. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it was on at the West End. It then did a tour of the UK. Yeah. Um, and then it came off the UK and we managed to get the rights for it. Um, but, yeah, it's a, fantastic, it's a proper production show. Um, it's at the Capitol Theatre. Um, so you can buy tickets either on the Capitol website mm-hmm. or you can phone the box office. Tickets are absolutely flying out the door. Yeah. Um, we get updated every time we go to rehearse and we see that number getting bigger and bigger every day. Um, so, yeah, we would love more people to try and come and book tickets if you can, if you're lucky enough to get tickets. Um, the last thing I heard was they are going very quickly. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So uh, you've got, um, I think it's five five performances in all, isn't it? Yeah, so we're on um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then two on Saturday. So we've got the matinee and then the evening performance. Okay, is that is that tough doing two in a two in a day? Have you done that before? Yeah, it's it is tough because you you, you the energy you put into a show, you feel like you're drained after the show because you yeah. you put all into it. You know, none of us it will you know it says in the title. You know, we are amateurs. We aren't. We don't do this for a living. No. Um, however, some people have been performing since a kid I've been performing since I was 10 so a lot of people have been doing it for many 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 years um, and it's their it's the, the love of the theatre why they do it so it definitely puts a strain on you to then do the show and then you have an hour break to have something to eat quickly and then literally back into makeup to get ready to do the, to do the evening show and all the way back to the start as well and go through it all again Exactly, yeah, and yeah. then you wait again another month, and then it's the next show potentially what you'll do. So yeah, it's a constant cycle throughout the year of doing two, three shows. So yeah, it's, we love it. We all love it. Absolutely, that's the most important thing, of course. Um, what's what's coming up? Because I think you just announced your new show as well, haven't you? Um... Yeah. So the next show we're doing is in May next year, which is Betty Blue Eyes. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a teaser about that. If you go onto our Facebook page, you can see all the information about if you're interested in doing the show. So we're always looking for new members to come and join. Um, so you can come along to the read through, hear about the show, listen to the music, um, and then yeah, who knows? You might be in our next production next year. And there's also and there's always the option to be involved in sort of the technical side as well, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you don't have to just be on stage. So we have people that are part of the society that just work backstage. They help build the sets. Uh, we have a whole crew that will work the backstage of the show. So they bring the sets on and off. 
they even build sets. They've been building desks for the show. Um, yeah, it's very hands-on. So even if you you enjoy the idea of being part of a dramatic, uh, dramatic uh, theatre society, but you don't like singing and dancing, but you're pretty hands-on, you know, you could absolutely be part of the backstage crew. Billy, really good to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, all the best with the show. Thanks, Paul. And 9 to 5 The Musical is at the Capitol Theatre in Horsham from Wednesday the 9th until Saturday the 12th of November. For tickets and times, visit capitalhorsham.com, that's capitalhorsham.com, or contact the box office directly on 01403 750220. That's 01403 750220. We'll post all the links on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. And that's it for this week. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. The Sunday Review is taking a break next week, but I'll be back as usual in two weeks' time from 10am on air on 107 Meridian FM, online at meridianfm.com or in the next edition of this podcast. Until then, take care and have a great couple of weeks.